Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, from time to time, as uh, as we have done along our journey for the past two years, we get involved in issues that are important to coastal Mississippi. And uh, and today, you know, we're going to we'll have a guest. We'll certainly celebrate his leadership for sure. But but we're going to really kind of zero in on a really, really important issue facing coastal Mississippi now. And that is an issue involving flood insurance. Um, we'll talk about insurance in general, but we're going to talk specifically about flood insurance. But as you know, I mean, coastal Mississippians know all too well uh, that we have to deal with the cost and constant changes related to not just homeowner insurance, but in business insurance, even rental insurance if you're if you're renting. Um, it's been super dynamic for a lot of years, and and for the for the most part, it's also super complicated. It's hard for the average person to get their head around all these swirling issues that that involve uh, homeowner insurance. Um, we've had to wrestle wrestle with like higher costs, uh, especially if you own a home, and uh, especially if you own a business. You've had you you know what that dynamic has been like over over the last many years. After Katrina, though. We became we, we started to started to get our head around things like the reality of wind coverage and how that works. Uh, if we lived near the water, we were we were beginning to understand and appreciate the, the flood insurance program, the National Flood Insurance Program, um, and we also had a strong strong appreciation for the the low cost, the relative low cost of flood insurance. Um, the, the National Flood Insurance Program, incidentally, was, was actually established back in 1968. And we'll talk about some high points about it here in just a second. But after Hurricane Katrina and then other hurricanes that followed and a growing number of other nat- natural disasters um, happened, it set in motion an extraordinary challenge for the federal government in terms of what was essentially a growing debt that that existed within the National Flood Insurance Program. Just kind of give you an idea of this. Uh, by March of 2017, that the amount of National Flood Insurance uh, Program debt was around 24 billion dollars. Um, I should also point out that from, and this is not just a coastal, this is not just a coastal issue. Uh, in this, in the area between, in the time between 1996 and 2019. 99% of U.S. counties experienced at least one flood event. Think about that for a second. That's pretty, that's pretty significant. So you've got a program that has a lot of stress on it. Uh, all of this set in motion a series of responses by the federal government. And the goal was to shore up this federal insurance, uh, the, the flood insurance program, to make it what is referred to actuarially sound. And essentially what that means is to make it financially viable. It can't operate at this growing debt year after year after year when we have this growing number of natural disasters. Well, the impact, uh, especially on coastal residents and businesses financially, may be very significant as it relates to the most recent move. And in some cases, it could be even financially catastrophic. But it's hard to get our national leaders' attention uh, about something like flood insurance when there's so much noise on the on the national level. And this is this is truly a national problem. 
Um, so if you think about the challenges that our nation is facing right now, and there are so many, uh, there are a lot of conflicting objectives. Just just watch the national news today. Go 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 today and ask yourself, what are they focused on? Well, certainly they're focused on COVID. They're fo- focused suddenly on voting rights. That's that's a big issue that they're facing today. Um, we don't hear them talk much about it, but certainly there's this constant drumbeat that changes need to be made in the health insurance program. Uh, of course, they're still talking about infrastructure. But so if you just look at all these different conversations that are taking place, there are countless competing objectives. There's just a lot of noise on the national stage. But there's a looming issue as it relates to the flood insurance program, the likely to have a severe impact here in coastal Mississippi. Um, and really, frankly, other coastal communities across the United States. Now, again, it's not just a coastal community issue, but the coastal communities stand to be impacted very significantly. The number of population in, in, the, in the United States that lives near or on a coastline is very, very significant. Um, the former, former incarnation of the National, National Flood Insurance Program actually expired last year on September the 30th. Um, the stakes are going to be really high as this new program starts to get implemented. And uh, and I'll tell you, we need a reprieve. And and we're getting this final hour now, and we're still working to get one, and we need it, we need it more quickly than, unfortunately, it's coming. Uh, and I think part of the problem is this atmosphere of noise that we're trying to have this conversation uh, within. So here's where we are. The FEMA's, FEMA has a new program. It's called the Flood Risk Rating 2.0. It was implemented for new policy holders on October the 1st of last year, and it will be implemented for, for current policy holders on April the 1st. Unfortunately, too many people are getting caught off guard by this change. Um, but the water on this, I have to tell you, has been boiling for a very, very long time. It's been literally years in the making. When I was publisher of the Sun-Herald or the Press Register in Mobile or the Times speaking in New Orleans, I can't tell you how many... Uh, editorials we wrote, wrote about the insurance situation and especially the coming challenges as it related to the flood insurance program because it was not actuarially sound. In other words, it was not financially viable and something had to be done to change it so that it wouldn't continue to go in debt and had had this, this issue that we were facing. The question is, how do you make it actuarially sound and in a way that didn't cause everyone's rates to go sky high? Local media started to, to kind of focus on this a bit. But if you do a Google search on this, what you'll find is that countless stories have been written about this all across the United States, especially in, in coastal communities, but not just in coastal communities. For example, in Dallas, uh, the Dallas Morning News wrote a story about this. And they talked about not only these changes by FEMA and how they're going to affect uh, uh, getting insurance, but, but it literally defining who actually gets uh, covered in the future by the by the uh, National Flood Insurance Program. You see countless stories from South Carolina. You see a bunch from Florida. And why do you see so many from Florida? And there's a reason I point this out, incidentally. I'll come back to that in a second. Of the 5 million National Flood Insurance uh, Program policies nationwide, 2 million of those are actually in Florida. Think about it for a second. Think about all these coastal areas along the Florida Peninsula, especially as you go down into the Keys, big, big impact. Now, look, this is important. Sort of Texas, Louisiana, Florida, all these other states are impacted as well. This is important because with all the noise on the national level, 
we need our leaders, senators and representatives from all these key areas to work together. And you, you'll you'll see stories about what Marco Rubio has done and, and other senators and representatives across the United States. Various bills, you've had a bunch of bills that got rolled into one. There's a lot of energy trying to figure out how to phase this in, how to make the impact not so great. But the reality is, unless something changes, the, the impact for coastal Mississippi is going to be very, very significant. Now, with that in mind, I had a conversation with Frank Bordeaux. He's a real estate, excuse me, an insurance executive here in coastal Mississippi. Um, he's got a great bird's eye view on what's going on as it relates to all of this. He's been working really hard uh, to, to try to build a head of steam around this. And I invited him to come to come on the coast view, not only to give me a chance to kind of get up to speed on what the current uh, opportunities are to, to find a reprieve, but to have a more deep conversation about the history of all of this so that people who are now going to get impacted, they can understand that this did not happen suddenly. This has been in the works for many, many, many years. So with all that said, I want to welcome Frank Bordeaux to Coast View and tell you thank you for joining me today, buddy. Thank you for having me on. So look, let's do this. I'm, I want to remind people what you do and you know what your specialty is and why you're so focused on this. But before we do that, you heard what I had to say. When you kind of have to give an elevator speech to somebody about what this issue is as it relates to coastal Mississippi, how do you talk about it? Well, really, you know, the conversation started, like you said, October 1st was the big date. And um, we really didn't know what the rating was going to look like until right before, probably a month before they implemented it, which was very difficult for insurance agents to be able to get ahead of this to let your clients know what was going on. But October 1st is the big date. Then April 1st is uh, is going to be the next date for current policyholders, as you said. One thing that's very, that I, I remind folks, especially here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, is one of the big aspects of the change is the loss of grandfathered policies, yeah. policies that were, and so that's going to be a, a, a large effect on a lot of folks that were not able to elevate uh, post-Katrina. And so I believe it's going to, that's going to be the most devastating side of this. The rate increases are going to be devastating as well, but we're going to have entire communities. They're going to be de difficult to sell the properties or to insure. Yeah, the grandfathering issue is, is really gigantic for coastal Mississippi. And let, let, me, let me describe why that is, and we're going to come back to this in a second, but why this is so important. Okay, we got hit by the largest storm surge in American history. We, we all know that. That was Hurricane Katrina. As a result of that, the AVFE requirement, in other words, the base flood elevation requirement for coastal Mississippi, increased dramatically. Okay. What the federal government said, and now they're changing the rule, which is basically completely unfair. What they said was, if you had less than 50% damage, you could rebuild. And that was a, the 50% was a really important percentage. So people, when they're trying to get back in their homes, they're trying to get rebuilt. They're trying not to have to tear down a structure that had less than 50% damage. And what, the, what they said was, okay, you can rebuild in the floodplain even though we're increasing the base flood elevations um, and you'll be grandfathered in the program. And what they're saying now is they're changing the rules for all of us who just happened to be hit by the worst natural disaster in American history. Why it applies more severely to us because the base flood elevation for coastal Mississippi rose so significantly. We have a high number of homes that were in that 50% range that rebuilt.
And now, and they were they did under the guise of being grandfathered into the program, but now they're going to suddenly find out that they're not grandfathered anymore. This is a very serious issue for Coastal Mississippi. And this whole grandfathering issue should have never been done away with because people decided their futures based on what the federal government said to them. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Frank Bordeaux and really kind of break it all down. What happened on October the 1st, what's happening on April the 1st, and what the hell can we do about this? We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Frank Bordeaux, a real estate executive here in Coastal Mississippi, and someone who's passionately engaged in the discussion around the changes in the National Flood Insurance Program. And what what we're going to do, I was just talking before we went to break about this whole notion of, of dropping the grandfathering clause. We'll come back to that in just a second because this actually began as they started to, uh, to propose new changes in the program back as, in, in, as early as 2012. We were able to get a sort of a momentary reprieve. We'll talk about what that was all about. But now we're back, we're back to, the, to where we were before with, uh, with uh, this whole notion of, of dropping the grandfather clause. Now, look, there's a lot more to it than that. Some people's rates are going to go down. A significant number of coastal Mississippians' rates are going to go up, in some cases very severely, because the criteria for determining what your rates are going to be, that's also changed. They've taken all this new data, a lot of new science and computer science and all this stuff. They're smarter than they used to be, and they're trying to update the program to make it, so to speak, actuarially sound. But the impact is going to be great. So, so, Frank, why don't we do this before we go any further? Let, let's remind people sort of where, what you do day to day and sort of who you are. Well, I'm obviously insurance agent for uh, BXS Insurance, and uh, we handle uh, on my team a lot of coastal property, uh, you know, over $4 billion worth of TIV. So this is, affects me as well as my clients. Um, and so... With having as much coastal exposure as our agency has, we're primarily a coastal agency. Um, we've been very involved in flood insurance. We're in D.C. four or five times a year working on flood insurance. Um, we're, we're members of uh, the Council of Insurance Agents. They've been working very hard on this. We're actually going up uh, in two weeks to work on this issue with the uh, council. And, um so that's basically what I do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it's a very challenging market, whether it's wind insurance or cyber liabilities, very challenging right now. This flood issue is going to be even more challenging for the folks on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so it's very, very concerning. And hopefully we can unwind this uh, over the next couple, several months. Yeah, I know it's a it's a it's a it's a tough one. So let's let's go back and build a little history. We're we're, we're what we currently working on is implementing this whole 2.0 process that has the dropping of the grandfather clause, increase in 
again, in some cases, decreasing. But essentially, what they're doing is they're 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 just trying to build what they see as an actuarially sound process. But we didn't get here overnight. So let's talk. Let's kind of go back to Katrina for a second. Katrina hits. And I mean, not that we didn't have huge losses before Katrina, but Katrina was a real turning point for the flood insurance program, wasn't it? It was. You know, the the largest year prior to Katrina was 1998, Hurricane George, less than a billion dollars worth of damage. Still a lot of damage. And that was over the course of all of 1998, which was a busy hurricane season. Then Katrina comes and obviously we saw a massive uh, debt that and we, uh, quite honestly, it was scary at that time because the FEMA did not have enough borrowing authority to fund the program to pay all the claims. And so they had to get authorization to increase that. Uh, fast forward, we're $9 billion in debt after Katrina uh, from the flood program. And so that's when the first talk of an actuarial sound program. Folks on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and Louisiana and folks that deal with flood insurance every day, you know, it was really, we look at it, it was encouraged to build on the coast. As you said, two-thirds of the population live within 100 miles of rising water in our country. And that happened over the course of 1968 to where we are today. So it was encouraged to move close or near around the water. And it was subsidized by the federal government. Obviously, when we go to actuarial sound, it's it's very difficult to wrap your mind around uh, a flood, a single peril insurance product that in its existence that was created with the idea we're going to have adverse selection. You're not going to have a spread of risk across the country. And so it's very difficult to then put an actuarial sound program uh, years later, decades later, and expect folks to uh, understand or be able to pay the premiums. It's just not possible. After it's been supplemented all those years. And, um, you know, we, we, we learned a lot about insurance. At least the average person had to learn more about insurance because, it, you know, this whole notion of being actuarially sound wasn't just related to the flood, flood insurance program. But, but what, what had happened along our history was that you had, you had insurance carriers that were writing for wind and other comprehensive aspects of your homeowners and business coverage. And then you had the federal government over here handling the flood part of it. Now, it was being administrated by the by insurance companies where where they were getting some fees to do it. But at the end of the day, this is essentially a, a program that had been uh, underwritten by the federal government. Even though over the last few years, they've been having to go to the reinsurance pr uh, market themselves to build some capacity there, but not nearly enough, right, Frank? That's correct. You know, prior to the Affordable Flood Act in 2014 passing, they weren't required to buy reinsurance and they weren't required to keep their surplus. And so that was one of the great things that happened in 2014 was the requirement to buy reinsurance. And when I go to Washington, I kind of equate it to our wind pool in Mississippi. Our wind pool is very, very well ran wind pool. They buy a very large amount of reinsurance and they have their surplus and they keep their surplus aside. And so we have one of the strongest wind pools. If the National Flood Insurance Program had done that from day one, we'd be in a different situation. They're buying about $1.5 billion in reinsurance right now. It's called, it costs money to do that, but it saves the taxpayers money. And I really wish they would look at buying higher limits of reinsurance to protect the federal government. Uh, but 
rather than getting the higher premiums today. Uh, we we collect enough premium to buy reinsurance. The program. Okay, so look, let's let's. Okay, you and I are throwing reinsurance out there like people know what we're talking about. So, to ex describe, explain what reinsurance really is. In its most simplistic, it, if I'm an insurance carrier, I will take a portion of the risk, and then I actually go to uh, London or Bermuda or some domestic reinsurers, and I will buy insurance on the on the insurance placement that I placed for you. So State Farm, every insurance carrier goes and buys a certain amount of reinsurance to protect their risk. Okay, so that, that there's that. Okay, so as we continue on, so Katrina happens, we have this, we have not just the Katrina event, but a swirl of other increasing number of natural disasters, putting even more uh, pressure on the on the program. What happened in 2012? So two, 2012 was the passage of Bicker Waters 2012. And Bicker Waters was the first bill that actually required actuarial sound, got rid of grandfathering. A lot of the things that we're dealing with today was implemented then. And we were able to, over the course of time, uh, it was really a coastal issue until it was not a coastal issue. Shortly after the passage, they had floods in Houston, they had floods in Nashville, they had floods in Colorado. And so it went from being the coastal delegation of House and Senators upset about it to it became a national issue. And by 2014, we were able to get a fix in place. Consequently, over time, the uh, FEMA put together this risk 2.0, and like you said, the big issue, obviously, take grandfather on the side, is the recalculation of how they're determine their premium. What really affects us and really will upset a lot of folks in, in coastal Mississippi and Louisiana is we're not only looking at elevation, but we're looking at distance to water. So I built my house six feet above what I was supposed to, what the federal government told me to, to have low rates. Uh, I'm in private flood insurance market. I'm not in the NFIP, but if I were in the NFIP, my premium would be about $8,000 under the new uh, risk 2.0 calculation. And so it's very devastating. But for folks that did elevate and folks that are in X zones, there is a private flood market out there. And it's starting to, because of what NFIP is doing, they're starting to get more and more private flood carriers out there. I typically, we've always told folks, and if they're grandfathered, do not go into the private flood market because you'll lose your grandfathered status. Hopefully, we can reinstate grandfather status, but if we lose it, the uh, private market may be the only place for some of these folks to go. And and again, it's hard to it's hard to not go down that rabbit hole uh, as we continue to sort of build what's going on. But I, I'll just point out that. Um, if if someone is grandfathered in, and there are a lot, how many? Do we know what that number is? How many people are grandfathered in in coastal Mississippi? I don't know. We can. I could probably get that number. I know we used it last time in 2012, and we were able to get it. Uh, then FIP can it's, buy that for us. It's probably thousands. It's oh, thousands. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the notion of going losing your grandfather and therefore your low in flood flood insurance rates and having to go to the the uh, to the to the you know competitive market, um, your rates are going to go up very very significant even under that scenario. I mean, if you Correct. stay with NIP, FP, it's going to be even greater. 
most likely. Um, tough situation. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about these, these criteria that they're applying now and how it's changing the way they used to do things and then where the reprieves are necessary. One is has, has to do with how quickly they elevate your rates. The other has to do with grandfathering. There's some other aspects to it as well. We'll be back with Frank Burdo after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a conversation about a looming, very significant issue for coastal Mississippi as it relates to the National Flood Insurance Program. And there are a lot of moving pieces as it relates to it. But just keep in mind, this is the things you need to know. Number one, if you were grandfathered in after you rebuilt at below the, the recommended flood elevations because they said you could, they're going to drop the grandfather clause, and, and that could have devastating impacts on your flood insurance coverage. If you have a mortgage, you have to have flood insurance, so you don't have a choice. Um, second, your rates are going to, in a lot of cases, rates are going to go up, and it's because they've changed the criteria as it relates to that. Um, what the, I think, uh, you know, there's some limits to how much it can go up a year, but it will compound from one year to the next to the next until it gets to the targeted amount. Uh, there have been some bills introduced um, that have that will slow down the rate of compounding, but don't necessarily reduce the overall rate. Hopefully, there's something that can be done there as well. And we definitely need a reprieve as it relates to the grandfathering clause. These are just some of the things that we talked about coming up to this point. What I want to do in this segment, I'm having uh, Frank, Frank as, a, as, a, as a local insurance executive. He's been working on this issue for some time. Like I said, it's kind of like the, 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 the frog in boiling water. You know, the water's now beginning to boil. It's been going on for a long time. We've seen signs of this not long after Katrina. One of the things that drove me crazy, Frank, after Katrina, actually, and this actually, uh, this actually goes to sort of how do you break through the noise on the national level. I remember a speech in the Senate where a senator from, I think it was Delaware, was saying we should not do the things that we're going to do to help those people in Louisiana and Mississippi especially because it was a bunch of rich people that chose to, to, to build on the beach. And, and it drove us crazy at the Sun-Herald. We wrote numerous editorials about it. But there is this, what did, where did this sort of notion that service workers and other people, again, two-thirds of the entire population of the U.S. lives within 100 miles of a coastline, but where did this notion of just rich people live near the water or on the water and and why do people continue to perpetuate that lie yeah obviously they haven't been down here and uh, you know i've been i was challenged with that several times when we were working on uh, the affordable flood act and i i told those folks that would say that they've obviously never been to ninth ninth warden new orleans you know they haven't been to uh coastal mississippi and seeing you know, some of the issues that we deal with in turkey creek and some of the uh, all across uh coastal Mississippi. I'm not sure where that comes from. I think they think everybody is Miami, Florida um, or, or, you know, South Florida. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at our coastline from the northeast all the way over to, to the uh, Texas, 
those are working class folks. We know that. And uh, so uh, we can't be uh, dissuaded by uh, that notion that we're all rich people buying second homes on the coast. Because it couldn't be further from the truth, <laughs> particularly in a community like coastal Mississippi, where you know it's a it's a uh, a destination market in tourism, a lot of service industry uh, people. Um, you know, think about the shipyard and the people who work there. Think about Stennis and the people who work there. Um, what a demeaning thing to say about us. Not that there aren't some rich people who live near the water, but they I mean they pay their taxes, they've earned their opportunity to live there. But but to sum it up that way, and to conclude after you sum it up falsely in that way, that uh, we shouldn't help those people because they're rich people and they can help themselves. It's just crazy. It's crazy talk, and it doesn't help. It doesn't help the 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 effort underway here, and that is to bring sanity back to this conversation. But as you pointed out, the Biggest Waters Act sort of set the stage for this whole notion of actuarially sound. And, of course, FEMA has always known that, that grandfathering is one of the things that is a, is a big impact. Now, typically what happens is, is you have communities that are built in, you know, next to rivers and low-lying areas. They're not necessarily the, the kind of situations we face here after Hurricane Katrina where you had the largest natural disaster in American history that changed the entire scorecard for how we evaluate risk here in coastal Mississippi. And in a way, we get punished, don't we, Frank, because we are, because Katrina hit here. Why aren't Katrina guidelines uh, modeled out in every single community on the coast and make everybody pay their fair share related to that? But we get penalized, don't we? Yes, and that's one of our points after uh, Bicker Waters 2012 was, you know, we've been mapped. Louis South Louisiana has been remapped. We've dealt with the uh, rate increases based on those maps. And so we really challenged NFIP and challenged uh, Congress to they need to make the requirement nationally that before they implement these changes, the, the nation needs to be remapped. They need to feel the same thing that we're feeling. And so that's happened to some degree. And I know the NFIP is working with some uh, private uh, uh, companies to help them with mapping. And here in Mississippi, we kind of led the charge in that. And the legislature uh, in 2014 gave money to uh, South Mississippi Planning and Development to work with the NFIP to have a private to challenge their current maps that they have. They're in that process right now. They've done an excellent job doing that. But Mississippi's really led the charge on, based on the us being penalized first, really. Well, I mean, think about it, though. If you were to take the Katrina scenario, which they can do, they can now take the Katrina scenario and model it everywhere. Why don't they go model it over in Tampa? What would the impact be in Tampa? Think about it. I mean, it'd be unbelievable. They're under is very, very similar to ours. And so it, we have, we, our agency has purchased the same models that they're, they're using. And you can, act, like you said, you can put Katrina right on Tampa and it's devastating uh, what would happen over there. So, but because Katrina hit here, those that are now being grandfathered, <laughs> many of them are being grandfathered because after Katrina, the base flood elevation for, for for just about, if not every single home near the water along coastal Mississippi, was brought up very dramatically compared to what it was before. So we have a lot of people that are that are being grandfathered as a result of that. And I guess the thing that that really. Um, probably means the most to me is this whole notion as the federal government made a promise to you as a homeowner that if you rebuild 
and you have less than 50% damage, then we're going to grandfather you into this, this uh, program. And then now they're changing the rules. Now they're changing the rules. Now, essentially, what they, I think part of the intention is not necessarily around a catastrophic event like a Katrina, but you got a lot of areas that where they're building entire communities in flood zones, literally in flood zones that regularly flood. And there's not even disclosure, in fact. People are buying in these flood zones. They don't know that they're being, you know, buying in these flood zones. And some of those areas, they don't need to rebuild. But you can't apply that same sort of analysis to areas that are going to get hit by hurricanes because we would not rebuild the entire coastline if, if we did that. That's right. So, it's a, it's a, there's a state of confusion to me as, as, it, as it relates to all of that. Now, what FEMA's trying to do with their new flood risk rating 2.0 is begin to fix some of this. And they're using, as I mentioned, a lot of new technology, a lot of history, et cetera. And, and they're no longer doing it just based on elevation. Talk about the, the way that they are evaluating risk now compared to the way they used to. So, you know, NFIP has always been relative, relatively archaic on how they underwrite. They un underwrite used to underwrite simply on location and uh, elevation, uh, but they never did distance to water, which I think is quite unfair, especially for folks like coastal Mississippi that has elevated and spent trillions of dollars to uh, an investment to elevate our commercial structures and our residential structures. But then also they have a modeling component, which like I said previously, we, we do a lot of modeling. Private insurance carriers do modeling. The accuracy of it sometimes is very good, sometimes not. But they're, they're applying the models to the underwriting. So the underwriting process is getting more like a private insurance carrier. However, the distance to water is going to be the thing that really affects us, not as much the modeling and obviously the elevation we've been dealing with for years. So, so why add the distance to water com component? I'm not sure. I, in communities that may be riverine communities, or this is going to be a huge issue for Florida. Florida has always had lower base flood elevations, basic, because vast majority of Florida has a deep water coastline, and so the the waves are not able to compound as they are in Mississippi and provide that huge surge. So, Florida hasn't dealt with these huge premiums in the past. Coastal Alabama and coastal Florida, everywhere with the exception of Tampa probably, are going to have sticker shock when they see distance to water is going to affect them drastically. But I'm not sure the distance to water should have been applied to everybody across the board. And it's just like any other federal program. It's a one-size-fits-all for everybody, and that's just not the case. They really should underwrite write the risk like a private carrier would. When we come back, we're going to we're going to sum it all up in the final segment, and uh, we'll talk about things that are underway to try to get a reprieve, and we'll talk about what you can do. There's something that you can do. We need we need to, with all the national noise, the only way that they're going to pay attention is that there's more noise, and we're gonna we're gonna instruct you on how to do that. We'll be back after this break.
also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast. I have Frank Bordeaux with me. He's uh, an insurance executive here on, in Coastal Mississippi. He's been all wrapped up in the flood insurance changes that are making as part of FEMA's new flood risk rating 2.0. That's a mouthful, I might add. But it's essentially the new uh, national flood insurance program in an effort to become actuarially sound. They're going back on their word they made to a lot of people, especially here in coastal Mississippi. To, you go ahead and rebuild and you'll be grandfathered in. Now they're going to drop to grandfather after, after you spent your life savings rebuilding your homes after Katrina. It's like Katrina never goes away. It seems like there's always something about Katrina that resurfaces. But you may remember there, during the opening, I said that there, I probably have been part of the editorial boards, both the Mobile here in coastal Mississippi and at New Orleans, um, part of editorial boards that have written more about insurance issues than than probably anywhere else in the United States. I mean, everywhere I've been, there's been some discussion about insurance. And Bigger's Waters came up in, in between my transition from Mobile to New Orleans, but we were writing about it and in, in, in Mobile, we certainly wrote about it tremendously in New Orleans. Um, but it seems like we're always begging for a reprieve. <laughs> it's, it's, why can't we just get the answer and move on, the fair answer, that, that brings us where we need to be? That's, that's, a, that's a loaded question. But there's a lot of that effort underway to try to create some noise. Let's talk about what you've been involved with, Frank, and then let's give some advice to people who are listening to this that are going to get impacted. And, and let's advise them on what they can do. But first, what have you been up to these days? So we've really, you know, never stopped uh, as far as educating and trying to work with our elected officials. We're very blessed in Mississippi that our entire coastal delegate, our entire dele federal delegation, is very engaged in this, very involved. Um, Trent Kelly understands that so goes the coast, so goes our state. Um, the governor has been very involved, uh, and I know Commissioner Cheney. You know, last time when Bicker Waters uh, passed. He filed suit against the federal government because they did change the rules. They changed the, the rules in the middle of the game. And so Commissioner Cheney's very, very involved in this process. So from a state perspective, I think we're doing everything we have to do. Local governments have all signed resolutions uh, down here, the counties, the cities. Uh, Harris County Development Commission is very involved, as well as Jackson County and Hancock County. So I think we're doing what we have to do. We have to educate folks that are not on the coast of what's about to happen. Yeah. I would say, I would say that if you're listening to this, um, do your homework. I, I would say this, this show, I, we tried to design this show so we didn't talk over your head with a bunch of policy stuff. We, we're trying to keep it. There's a lot of bills out there. As I mentioned, there's, there's one bill that brought seven different bills into another <coughs> bill. There's been a lot of efforts led by various legislative dele delegations at, uh, in, in the U.S. Congress to try to find uh, answers to all of this. And I didn't want to get into all that. I just wanted to be focused on how it ultimately impacts coastal Mississippi and what these changes are that impacts coastal Mississippi and give you enough information so that you're aware of it and that you, you, know, you, you start to understand, okay, what's going to be the impact on me? What's how am I going to be impacted? If you've been grandfathered, 
you better pay attention. You better pay close attention. And um, you just better, you know, you need to do your homework. What I would say is, you know, call your legislators. You know, it's important that, that Congress, your congressmen know, your senators know how you feel. Uh, what other calls can they make? If they want to write letters and, and calls, or is there a formal process in place that they can get feedback? So here's the County Development Commission. I know Bill Labors is really uh, taking this effort and moving forward. One thing that really worked well, and um, there was a lot of folks along the Mississippi Gulf Coast that helped us last time that we dealt with this. If you're part of an association, really have your association sign a resolution I know that uh, Supervisor Rocco and uh, Supervisor Martin are taking it on to their to NACO, which is the national supervisors. They have a coastal uh, group, five state coastal group that really takes on big issues. They work very hard on flood issues. They they were instrumental in getting the BP funds to to us down here on the coast. And so, if we can, their meetings in February, and I know they're taking as many resolutions as they can. Home Builders Association, Bankers Association, Realtors, this is going to affect everybody. And so if you're part of an association, please encourage them to sign a resolution in support of our efforts to dial this back. What Frank and I have tried to do with this show today is to give it, give you sort enough of the history to give you an understanding of impact and as, as tight sort of a buttoned up conversation as we can have. And what I would recommend you do is go to Supertalk 103.1 Facebook page and share it with your friends and make sure they know about it. And if they're not on Facebook, go to the Supertalk Mississippi YouTube page and share it, you know, text them the YouTube video or find if someone doesn't watch videos, find the, the your favorite podcast, find what podcast they listen to. Uh, what format they listen to and send this show in podcast form to them. But my, my, my hope would be that you would take this conversation that Frank and I just had and share it and share it as widely as possible because there are a lot of people going through the busyness of their lives that don't really understand that this is on the horizon. And this is one they really need to lock on to and understand because the impact could be very, very, very significant here in coastal Mississippi. And um, and best you can do is get educated, understand the impact on you, and scream as loud as you possibly can because there's a lot of noise on the national level and we got to somehow cut through that so we can get the reprieve that we're looking for. Any final word, Frank? No, I just want to thank you, Ricky, for really taking this issue on. It's serious to all of us and it's going to take all of us to uh, dial this thing back. You bet. Dial it back is what we've got to do. So anyway, thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate it. I hope everybody has a great rest of your Monday, and we'll see you tomorrow on Coastview. See you then. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.